we left off in Chapter 2, Claudia and Jamie had successfully hidden in their school bus and were able to sneak off, get on the train, and safely arrive at Grand Central Station in Manhattan. Next stop is to get to their hideout and check out the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Chapter 3. As soon as they reached the sidewalk, Jamie made his first decision as treasurer. We'll walk from here to the museum. Walk? Claudia asked. Do you realize that it is over 40 blocks from here? Well, how much does the bus cost? The bus? Claudia exclaimed. Who said anything about taking the bus? I want to take a taxi. Claudia, Jamie said, are you quietly out of your mind? How can you even think of a taxi? We have no more allowance, no more income. You can't be extravagant any longer. It's not my money we're spending. It's our money. We're in this together, remember? You're right, Claudia answered. A taxi is expensive. The bus is cheaper. It's only 20 cents each. We'll take the bus. Only 20 cents each. That's 40 cents total. No bus. We'll walk. We'll wear out 40 cents worth of shoe leather, Claudia mumbled. You're sure we have to walk? Positive, Jamie answered. Which way do we go? Sure you won't change your mind? The look on Jamie's face gave her the answer. She sighed. No wonder Jamie had more than $24. He was a gambler and a cheapskate. If that's the way he wants to be, she thought, I'll never again ask him for bus fare. I'll suffer and never, never let him know about it. But he'll regret it when I simply collapse from exhaustion. I'll collapse quietly. We'd better walk up Madison Avenue, she told her brother. I'll see too many ways to spend our precious money if we walk on Fifth Avenue all those gorgeous stores. She and Jamie did not walk exactly side by side. Her violin case kept bumping him and he began to walk a few steps ahead of her. As Claudia's pace slowed down from what she was sure was an accumulation of carbon dioxide in her system, she had not yet learned about muscle fatigue in science class, even though she was in the sixth grade honors class, Jamie's pace quickened. Soon, he was walking a block and a half ahead of her. They would meet when a red light held him up. At one of these mutual stops, Claudia instructed Jamie to wait for her on the corner of Madison Avenue and 80th Street. For there, they would turn left to 5th Avenue. She found Jamie standing on that corner, probably one of the most civilized street corners in the whole world, consulting a compass and announcing that when they turned left, they would be heading due northwest. Claudia was tired and cold at the tips. 
her fingers, her toes, her nose, they were all cold, while the rest of her was perspiring under the weight of her winter clothes. She never liked feeling either very hot or very cold, and she hated feeling both at the same time. Head due northwest, head due northwest, she mimicked. Can't you simply say turn right or turn left as everyone else does? Who do you think you are, Daniel Boone? I bet no one's used a compass in Manhattan since Henry Hudson. Jamie didn't answer. He briskly rounded the corner of 80th Street and made his hand into a sun visor as he peered down the street. Claudia needed an argument. Her internal heat, the heat of anger, was cooking that accumulated carbon dioxide. It would soon explode out of her if she didn't give it to, didn't give it to vent. Don't you realize that we must try to be inconspicuous? She demanded of her brother. What's inconspicuous? Unnoticeable. Jamie looked all around. I think you're brilliant, Claude. New York is a great place to hide out. No one notices no one. Anyone, Claudia corrected. She looked at Jamie and found him smiling. She softened. She had to agree with her brother. She was brilliant. New York was a great place, and being called brilliant had cooled her down. The bubbles dissolved. By the time they reached the museum, she no longer needed an argument. As they entered the main door on Fifth Avenue, the guard clicked off two numbers on his people counter. Guards always count the people going into the museum, but they don't count them going out. My chauffeur, chauffeur Sheldon, has a friend named Morris, who is a guard at the Metropolitan. I've kept Sheldon busy getting information from Morris. It's not hard to do since Morris loves to talk about his work. He'll tell about anything except security, ask him a question he won't or can't answer. He says, I'm not at liberty to tell. Security. By the time Claudia and Jamie reached their destination, it was one o'clock and the museum was busy. On any ordinary Wednesday, over 26,000 people come. They spread out over the 20 acres of floor space. They roam from room to room to room to room to room. On Wednesday, come the gentle old ladies who are using the time before the Broadway matinee begins. They walk around in pairs. You can tell they are a set because they wear matching pairs of orthopedic shoes, the kind that lace on the side. Tourists visit the museum on Wednesdays. You can tell them because the men carry cameras and the women look as if their feet hurt. They wear high heel shoes. I always say that those who wear them deserve them. And there are art students any day of the week. They also walk around in pairs. You can tell that they are a set because they carry matching black sketchbooks. You've missed all of this, Saxonberg. Shame on you. You've never set your well-polished shoe inside that museum. More than a quarter of a million people come to that museum every week. They come from Kansas, where they have no museums, and from Paris, France, where they have lots. And they all enter free of charge because that's what the museum is great and large and wonderful and free to all and complicated.
complicated enough even for Jamie Kincaid. No one thought it was strange that a boy and a girl, each carrying a book bag and an instrument case and who would normally be in school, were visiting a museum. After all, about a thousand school children visit the museum every day. The guard at the entrance merely stopped them and told them to check their cases and book bags. A museum rule, no bags, food, or umbrellas. None that the guards can see. Rule or no rule, Claudia decided it was a good idea. A big sign in the checking room said, no tipping. So she knew that Jamie couldn't object. Jamie did object, however. He pulled his sister aside and asked her how she expected him to change into his pajamas. His pajamas, she explained, were rolled into a tiny ball in his trumpet case. Claudia told him that she fully expected to check out at 4.30. They would then leave the museum by the front door and within five minutes would re-enter from the back through the door that leads from the parking lot to the children's museum. After all, didn't that solve all their problems? One, they would be seen leaving the museum. Two, they would be free of their baggage while they scouted around for a place to spend the night. And three, it was free. Claudia checked her coat as well as her packages. Jamie was condemned to walking around in his ski jacket. When the jacket was on and zipped, it covered up that exposed strip of skin. Besides, the plush lining did a great deal to muffle his $24 rattle. Claudia would never have permitted herself to become so overheated. But Jamie liked perspiration and a little bit of dirt and complications. Right now, however, he wanted lunch. Claudia wished to eat in the restaurant on the main floor, but Jamie wished to eat in the snack bar downstairs. He thought it would be less glamorous, but cheaper. And as holder of the veto power and as tightwad of the year, he got his wish. Claudia didn't really mind too much when she saw the snack bar. It was plain, but clean. James was dismayed at the prices. They had $28.61 when they went to the cafeteria and only $27.11 when they came out, still feeling hungry. Claudia, he demanded, did you know food would cost so much? Now, aren't you glad that we didn't take a bus? Claudia was no such thing. She was not glad that they hadn't taken a bus. She was merely furious that her parents, and Jamie too, had been so stingy that she had been away from home for less than one whole day and was already worried about survival money. She chose not to answer Jamie. Jamie didn't notice. He was completely wrapped up in problems of finance. Do you think I could get one of the guards to play me in a game of war? He asked. Well, that's ridiculous, Claudia said. Why? I brought my cards along, a whole deck. Claudia said, inconspicuous is exactly the opposite of that. Even a guard at the Metropolitan who sees thousands of people every day would remember a boy who played him in a game of cards. Jamie's pride was involved. I cheated Bruce all through second grade and through all third grade so far, and he still isn't wise. Jamie, is that how you knew you'd win? 
Jamie bowed his head and answered, Well, yeah. Besides, Brucey has trouble keeping straight the jacks, queens, and kings. He gets mixed up. Why do you cheat your best friend? I don't know. I guess I like complications. Well, quit worrying about the money now. Worry about where we're going to hide while they're locking up this place. They took a map from the information stand for free. Claudia selected where they would hide during that dangerous time immediately after the museum was closed to the public and before all the guards and helpers left. She decided that she would go to the ladies' room and Jamie would go to the men's room just before the museum closed. Go to the one near the restaurant on the main floor, she told Jamie. I'm not spending the night in the men's room, all that tile. It's cold. And besides, men's room make noises sound louder. And I rattle enough now. Claudia explained to Jamie that he was to enter a booth in the men's room and then stand on it, she continued. Stand on it? Stand on what? Jamie demanded. You know, Claudia insisted, stand on it. You mean stand on the toilet? Jamie needed everything spelled out. Well, what else would I mean? What else is there in a booth in the men's room? And keep your head down and keep the door to the booth very slightly open, Claudia finished. Feet up, head down, door open. Why? Because I'm certain that when they check the ladies' room and the men's room, they peek under the door and check only to see if there are feet. We must stay there until we're sure all the people and guards have gone home. How about the night watchman? Jamie asked. Claudia displayed a lot more confidence than she really felt. Oh, well, there'll be a night watchman, I'm sure. But he mostly walks around the roof trying to keep people from breaking in. We'll already be in. They call what he walks a catwalk. We'll learn his habits soon enough. They must mostly use burglar alarms in the inside. We'll just never touch a window, a door, or a valuable painting. Now, let's find a place to spend the night. They wandered back to the rooms of fine French and English furniture. It was here Claudia knew for sure that she had chosen the most elegant place in the world to hide. She wanted to sit on the lounge chair that had been made for Marie Antoinette, or at least sit at her writing table. But signs everywhere said not to step on the platform. And some of the chairs had silken ropes strung across the arms to keep you from even trying to sit down. She would have to wait until after the lights were out to be Marie Antoinette. At last, she found a bed that she considered perfectly wonderful. And she told Jamie that they would spend the night there. The bed had a tall canopy supported by an ornately carved headboard at one end and by two gigantic posts at the other. I'm familiar with that bed, Saxonburg. It is as enormously and fussy as mine, and it dates from the 16th century, like mine. I once considered donating my bed to the museum, but Mr. Untermeyer gave them this one first. I was somewhat relieved when he did. Now I can enjoy my bed without feeling guilty because the museum doesn't have one. Besides, I'm not that fond of donating things. Claudia had always known that she was meant for such fine things. Jamie, on the other hand, thought that running away from home to sleep in just another bed was really no challenge at all. 
He, James, would rather sleep on the bathroom floor after all. Claudia then pulled him around to the foot of the bed and told him to read what the card said. Jamie read, Please do not step on the platform. Claudia knew that he was being difficult on purpose. Therefore, she read for him. State bed, scene of the alleged murder of Amy Robesart, first wife of Lord Robert Dudley, later Earl of... Jamie couldn't control his smile. He said, you know, Claude, for a sister and a fuss budget, you're not too bad. Claudia replied, you know, Jamie, for a brother and a cheapskate, you're not too bad. Well, something happened at precisely that moment. Both Claudia and Jamie tried to explain it to me about it, but they couldn't quite. I know what happened, though I never told them. Having words and explanations for everything is just too modern. I especially wouldn't tell Claudia. She has too many explanations already. What happened was, they became a team, a family of two. There have been times before they'd run away when they had acted like a team, but those were very different from feeling like a team. Becoming a team didn't mean the end of their arguments, but it did mean that the arguments became a part of the adventure, became discussions, not threats. To an outsider, the arguments would appear to be the same because feeling like part of a team is something that happens invisibly. You might call it caring. You could call it love. And it is very rarely indeed that it happens to two people at the same time, especially a brother and sister who had always spent more time with activities than they had with each other. They followed their plan, checked out the museum and re-entered through the back door. When the guard at that entrance told them to check their instrument cases, Claudia told him that they were just passing through on their way to meet their mother. The guard let them go, knowing that if they went very far, some other guard would stop them. However, they managed to avoid other guards for the remaining minutes until the bell rang. Bell meant that the museum was closing in five minutes. They then entered the booths of the restroom. They waited in the booths until 5.30. Then they felt certain that everyone had gone. They came out and met. 5.30 in winter is dark, but nowhere seems as dark as the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The ceilings are so high that they feel up with a lot of darkness. It seemed to Jamie and Claudia that they walked through miles of corridors. Fortunately, the corridors were wide and they were spared bumping into things. At last, they came to the hall of the English Renaissance. Jamie quickly threw himself upon the bed, forgetting that it was only about six o'clock and thinking that he would be so exhausted that he would immediately fall asleep. He didn't. He was hungry. That was one reason he didn't fall asleep immediately. He was uncomfortable, too. So he got up from the bed, changed into his pajamas, and got back into bed. He felt a little better. Claudia had already changed into her pajamas. She, too, was hungry, and she, too, was uncomfortable. How could so elegant and romantic a bed smell so musty? She would have liked to have washed everything in a good, strong, sweet-smelling detergent. 
As Jamie got into bed, he still felt uneasy, and it wasn't because he was worried about being caught. Claudia had planned everything so well that he didn't concern himself about that. The strange way he felt had little to do with the strange place in which they were sleeping. Claudia felt it too. Jamie lay there thinking. Finally, the realization came. You know, Claude, he whispered, I did brush my teeth. Claudia answered, well, Jamie, you can't always brush after every meal. They both laughed very quietly. Tomorrow, Claudia reassured him, we'll be even better organized. It was much earlier than her bedtime at home, but still Claudia felt tired. She thought she might have an iron deficiency anemia, tired blood. Perhaps the pressures of everyday stress and strain had gotten her down. Maybe she was lightheaded from hunger. Her brain cells were being robbed of vitally needed oxygen for good growth and, and yawn. She shouldn't have worried. It had been an unusually busy day, a busy and unusual day. So she lay there in the great quiet of the museum next to the warm quiet of her brother and allowed the soft stillness to settle around them. Comforter of quiet. The silence seeped from their heads to the souls and into their souls. They stretched out and relaxed. Instead of oxygen and stress, Claudia thought now of hushed and quiet words. Glide. Fur. Banana. Peace. Even the footsteps of the night watchman added only an accented quarter note to the silence that had become a hum, a lullaby. They lay perfectly still, even long after he passed. Then they whispered goodnight to each other and fell asleep. They were quiet sleepers, and hidden by the heaviness of the dark, they were easily not discovered. Of course, Saxonburg, the draperies of that bed helped too.